Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Trying to get it together, trying to help their fellow man, or at least some people are. Um, it seems like it seems like other people are trying to um, to thwart their fellow man, and uh, we have just boy, it's been a very divisive time here in this country and uh, uh, of America, and we are about ready to to actually, I think, inaugurate a new president, but no one can tell yet uh, until we actually get there what's going to happen because uh, this has just been uh, quite a year. But uh, in the midst of all this, in the midst of a, uh, a COVID-19 uh, pandemic, um, our guest tonight has uh, been going forward with something that he has been doing for 30 years now, and that is working along with Mercy Ships um, all over the world, but now lately mostly in, in Africa, along the coast of Africa, where they dock their ship and uh, do incredible uh, miracles with surgery, and uh, of people's needs where there are no resources uh, in these towns to be able to do the kind of work that they do. So we're going to hear all about that from our guest uh, today. Um, And this will be a really uh, eye-opening and uh, I'm sure challenging time with our guest who is now in Seattle. He makes his home in Seattle, though most of the time he's on a ship um, and, uh, and, and, and doing his skills. He's given his skills, his medical surgical skills uh, over to the Lord and doing an incredible uh, ministry to people who do not have uh, the kind of access to the treatment that uh, their ship can provide. So there you go. We're going to find out a lot more about this. Please welcome to our show tonight, Gary Parker from Mercy Ships. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. It really is a great pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, this will be, this will be wonderful. Um, well, Gary, let's just go back uh, to quickly to the beginning and, and let's hear how you got involved with this very unusual uh, ministry. Uh, it's it's not a, I guess you call it a ministry. Maybe you should tell me what do you call it, um, and then tell us how tell us how that got started. Okay. 
No, I mean different different people call it different things, but yeah. certainly it was it was uh, founded back in 1978 by Don and Dion Stevens of Colorado, and uh, they uh, found a, an old ex passenger cargo ship in Venice that had been tied up and waiting to be scrapped, and they negotiated and uh, were able to purchase this 525-foot-long 12,000-ton ship uh, for uh, production, of course, a a new ship would cost. And um, that began what we call mercy ships now uh, and are to uh, uh, work and encourage people, local churches, uh, to build and strengthen the infrastructure and the people. There's some very talented surgeons and nurses in Africa, but they need uh, a little encouragement along the way, and uh, they're able to run with it. And our dream is that uh, one day every nation will be able to care for its own people, including our nation here in America. Wow. Wow. So what brought you to uh, Mercy Ships, Gary? Well, as I was doing my surgical training, uh, I was at UCLA for about nine years, and um, it it really struck me that uh, there were things that uh, you almost would call them tools that were being put in my tool bag, which I could choose to, to use to build my own little kingdom here in the States, or I could participate in a much bigger kingdom and use those those tools to bring healing to people. And I'm I'm in a small little specialty, oral and maxillofacial surgery, but it turns out that because it's a relatively simple kind of surgery, you don't need huge uh, resources and and, 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 uh, equipment and so on, like let's say a, a cardiothoracic surgeon would need or a neurosurgeon, we were able in under-resourced countries to do a lot. At first I thought, well, what what can I offer us? You know, uh, but I soon realized that in the African context, what I have to uh, uh, contribute really does make a difference. And so I I started to realize that as I was going through, and I thought, I'm going to look and see if I can find a place where I can serve. And when I heard about Mercy Ships and I heard about their vision to provide specialty surgery to those who can't afford it or can't access it, uh, I thought, yeah, that, that sounds like that sounds like me. Um, and mm-hmm. especially access to specialists is a very, very high privilege of, of high-income countries and very hard to access in low-income and middle-income countries. Wow. So... Um... So you just, uh, my goodness, you, you um, di- did you try it out or did you go on a <laughs> short-term mission trip? You know, I, I mean, that's that's a big jump. <laughs> uh, that's true. And actually, you know, that's a very that's a very important question for everyone to ask. Is, you know, am I cut out of the right kind of fabric for this kind of life? Because not mm. everyone is. Not everyone's called. Uh, everyone's called, but not necessarily to, to do this. Yeah. And so for three months initially, and I extended to six months, and then I went back. I was living in North Wales in person at the time working in the National Health Service, and hmm. um, came, came back, re- reconsidered, and thought, you know, 
I'm going to do this. And uh, came back uh, for a year and messed up like two years, and that led to five years. And then this thing, I know, 32 years of something wow. by. I met, met my wife on the ship. We raised two children oh. there. And uh, so, yeah. You never know what you're saying yes to, but uh, if you're saying, if you know who you know who it is, you're saying yes to, uh, all yeah. will be well. So, so Gary, your life has been on this ship. Then is that right? And and did you raise a family there? And uh, how does that all work? Kind of, you could look at the ship like a, a village. It's about 400 people from 30, 30 to 40 different nations plus another 200 of bakery that of local uh, people that we have also come in and they, we hire them. All the rest of us have to work as volunteers and, and uh, as you would in a conventional mission endeavor. And um, yeah, it's uh, everything you have in a village you need to have on the So we have teachers for the school because we have families that live on the school. You need someone that cuts the hair and of course people look fix the food and someone to fix the electrical supply and the plumbers and the marine engineers and the captain and the chief engineer and all wow. everything everything you need in the village plus everything you need to, to, to sail a big ship on the open ocean. So there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of activities and everybody, everybody volunteers and, and actually has to pay to live on the ship. So it's an interesting business plan to get people to pay to work rather than, <laughs> wow. rather than pay them. Which means, of course, wow. you know, the sponsorship, that kind of stuff. So, how is that for your kids? And you raise now. How many how many children do you have? And how old are they now? Children. Uh, 20, uh-huh. Our daughter's twenty six, and our son's twenty three. And um, so they they spent, except for just a very short time, about nine months, uh, back in two thousand and three. But they spent their entire life on a ship, uh, anchored on the edge of Africa. And wow. They see people coming in to have surgery that have extraordinary problems that you would rarely if ever see, at least you wouldn't see out in the open public uh, in high income countries. So they, they have a, an amazing perspective. Or even just my, my son looking out his porthole, uh, watching men unloading 60 to 80 pound sacks of rice all day long. One dollar and fifty cents of salary, mm. and mm. just watching how people what they have to do to survive in really poor countries, and uh, you know that that had a very powerful effect on both of them mm-hmm. for a little while. In fact, I don't know I don't know if they really have fully adjusted to being here in the states now, but it, it took some real effort because the contrast is incredible. Wow! Wow! So they are now settled in here in the states, and and they have uh, their own their own lives going on now. They're on they're on the ground. <laughs> they're on land. <laughs> they're on the they're on the ground. Yeah, my my daughter's at Fuller Seminary by extension, working on her Masters of Divinity, and Great. my son is uh, finished his undergraduate and is taking some time to reconsider, but may, may move on do some more education. We're waiting with bated breath. <laughs> to see. Wow. Well, do you think do you think that they they are going to end up in some kind of mission work? My, my daughter uh, 
So she's, she's a very um, mercy-oriented. She said, you know, I tried to talk myself into being a nurse, but I just couldn't imagine sticking sharp things into people and, and so on. So I think I'll take, I'll take care of the tumors of the heart, meaning the, the mm. symbolic mm. heart, and you can take care <laughs> of the yeah. surgery. So, so she, I, I would not be surprised to find her involved, but in a, in a different way than uh, direct, direct uh, care of, or direct um, provision of medical care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are all the all the people on on the ship? Is this a? Would you call this a a Christian enterprise? Or I mean, mm-hmm. are all these people Christians? Or not really? Is it? What? How does that work out? The vast the vast majority of the people uh, are from all all different denominations and and, mm-hmm. and divisions and so on of the Christian church. Uh, oh my goodness. But, which is really very good for everyone to recognize that people that you know come from Orthodox Church or come from the Roman Catholic Church or come from Protestant churches and you know sitting down together and, and realizing that we have a lot more in common than we realize and that there's mm-hmm. some real richness there. So yeah. So and then there are some there are people who come that want to just participate and, and be helpful, um, which, is, which is fine too. I need to be prepared to be a little bit like a lion and a den of them because it is, it is a Christian atmosphere and, and we certainly believe in prayer. We gather mm-hmm. for worship. We uh, it's, um, see it as a function and a vital part of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, do uh, do the people that come to you um, for for uh, medical assistance, do they know that, or do they just find that out eventually, or how does that work? Yeah, I, I both. I think that, uh, people are, many people are aware, uh, mm-hmm. and others they find out when they're there, but they really don't. Uh, there's no pressure on people, and right. uh, we, treat, we treat everyone from all the different animistic religions and the Islam and various the Christian and, and Anything mm. else. It doesn't matter the fact that you are made in the image of God as every man, woman, and child is, gives you all the value that you need. And there's nothing else that you need to do. There's no prayer that you need to pray to get uh, care. Well, just well. because we love you and uh, you, you, because of you're a child of God, that's, that's what reason enough for you to have the highest priority in our, in our hearts and, and in our actions. Ah. That's great. Um, so how 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 has the uh, the COVID nineteen issue affected what you guys are doing? Wow, um, COVID definitely. We were uh, we spent about ten to eleven months in a given port, and then we either moved to shipyard phase where we have to do uh, required maritime licensing that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, our current field service is in uh, the city of Dakar in Senegal in West Africa. And we uh, screened all the different people. We had thousands of people on our list to receive surgery. And about two-thirds of the way through, um, there's a a book some some listeners might recognize called When Helping Hurts. And Hmm. um, at that, that instant, 
a lot of our volunteers, doctors, nurses, electricians, people were flying in to Dakar from parts of the world where there was a pretty high incidence of the virus. And at that time, there was very low incidence in, the, in Senegal. So by uh-huh. being there as a magnet, if you will, pulling in potentially infected people, that's not helpful. So mm. in, with the encouragement and understanding of the, of the government, our, our host, I would say, okay, we'll, we'll go and we'll do our shipyard phase early. We'll let this, we'll see which way this is all going to go, how we can function, and, and when and if we can function in a safe manner. And that's been almost a year now, of course, as wow. uh, this is we're going through this. And now we are getting ready now to return back to Senegal to take care of that last thousand people who we said yes to, but weren't able to stay to finish. And of course, they were bitterly disappointed. So we hope to bring a smile back to their face, or if they don't have a face, that can smile mm-hmm. to uh, make mm-hmm. it so they can. <laughs> wow. So where is your ship right now? The ship is in the Canary Islands. Uh, it's a part of Spain, but it's geographically Africa, off the coast of Mauritania on the western side of Africa. Hmm. And so that's where you will that's where you will join up with it in uh, when you go back out in in April. Did you say? Uh, I yeah. Either there or I may actually uh, fly straight into Dakar. We'll we'll see how how mm-hmm. the timing goes uh, when we get closer closer to the time. It's, it's very close. It's about a five day sail from the Canary Islands to Dakar, so it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, get there. Wow. So, um, and I assume your wife will go with you then when you go? Block, uh, she may or may not, she's still working on that. She's being asked to do things in two different parts of the world. All of them are important. <laughs> uh, some of them wow. ship and, and some not, but for the for the most part, except for these last uh, this last little while, uh, yeah, we we've always been there, and we we want to come home here to the states for a few weeks of the year, and then uh, on occasion we'd have a longer or spend a, a month mm-hmm. or two while the ship was there because there was no need for surgery at that point. Mm. So um, yeah, well, we will see uh, how that how that unfolds. Well. So, uh, how how many more how many more years do you have in you for this? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Um, really, one of my greatest passions is uh, mentoring and encouraging my uh, surgical colleagues in Africa. I have some okay. wonderful friends who have uh, who are, uh, surgeons there who have become really good friends. We work together every day for months uh, on the ship, and so a lot of training going on, and I'm trying to hand off as much of, of what I've learned over these last 30 years of what kind of surgery is appropriate in African context. And uh, it's, it's, it takes a little while to understand just how that all works, and I, I feel like I have something to offer to my yeah. African friends and colleagues and so I will want to keep doing that for as long as I can. <laughs> we'll see. At least, a, at least a few more years, maybe a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Any any regrets? Do you ever do you ever have thoughts about you could have taken a different road? No, not really. Not really. Um, hmm. I I'm so 
So I'm really glad. I know it sounds sort of doesn't sound as strong as I can make it, but that to have a life that would make such a you know a contribution to people that were not in a position to have that, and have it as a as a representation of God's love for them, um, because as a community we're we're trying to say that in as many ways as we can, uh, mainly by our actions, but also. Uh, as you get to know people, make friendships, um, and it's um, really it's really been a privilege. And there are times, you know, you think, oh yeah, if I'd stayed home and had a regular job and you know got a big salary and you could do all sorts of things with fancy houses and cars and mm-hmm. holidays yep. and stuff. But you know, yep. it just my wife Susan and I, we when we were considering this way, we were back. Uh, you know, it's okay. We we are well taken care of, and um, it's okay. It's okay to have a, a little bit simpler life, but to be a part of something that actually will outlast all of us. And the only thing that really lasts is the kingdom of God. And uh, things that were part of that live on, and everything else gone, gone, gone. So um, happy to be a part of something that's going to last. Yeah. What are some of the things, uh, Gary, just that that uh, that have been beneficial? Some of the things you've learned from this uh, from this perspective that you could share with us in our, you know, in our American our American lives here, and maybe challenge us mm. in some way. Um, mm. You have a, some wow. stories for us, or or something that can encourage us. That would, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when we when we screen, uh, we call it screening, where we examine people. We put the word out through the mission hospitals and through the government hospitals and through the radio and posters and so on that these are the kinds of surgery that we can help with. So if you have these kind of problems, come. And of course, all sorts of people come hoping that you know there'll be an answer to their needs, and we can say yes mm-hmm. to some, but others we can't. And when we're screening, there'll be a long line of people, and I'm there, and I'm seeing each person and examining them and deciding can we help, and if so, you know how much time is it going to take, and how many different surgeries are they going to need to get their face put right or the big tumor taken out or something. And I look down the line, and when I see people with their heads completely covered. I always think, oh no, what's 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 here? Because I've seen some pretty incredible oh. things when those when those uh, covers oh. and those scars and stuff are pulled back. So this this particular there was a woman and it looked like a family member that was walking with her. And when they finally got to me, it turned out that the family member was a brother, and this was his sister. And he said, when she was young, when she was a little girl. She got this terrible infection. We, I, if I have time, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's called Noma. It's an bacterial infection case, mm. and she, it turns out, had Noma, and so they pulled back the, the scarf, and she had lost her entire nose. Uh, and that's hard to. I don't know if anyone's ever seen a person without a nose, but all you're doing is looking into the sinuses, but it's completely gone. Mm. And he said. My family, we have been trying to arrange a marriage for Sadio, her name is Sadio, and we haven't been able to because of this deformity that scares people. Yeah. And he said, Can you make can you make her a marriageable nose? 
<laughs> and I, I, I looked at him and I said, oh, oh this, is, this is hard, you know. But I said, I, I, all I can promise you is I will try my very best to make her a marriageable nose. Wow. So we, we worked and she had two, two surgeries and we had to move uh, flesh from uh, another part of the face to the forehead and rotate it down and, and shape it and fold it and make it into a nose. And then um, uh, wait about three weeks and you disconnect part of that and redo. Anyway, I won't let you know wow. all the secrets. But anyway, uh, we, we sailed away. She went back to her village with her brother. And I didn't hear anything, but after we had sailed on to our next country, word reached me, uh, and it was her brother. And he said, Sadio uh, is married, and she has her first child, and huh. thank you so much. And I thought, <laughs> uh, it, must have been, it must have been good enough notice. Uh, good enough <laughs> notice. That. But what, uh, what the brother talked to me about was how hopeless they were about, he, how hopeless he felt about his sister's condition and what kind of future she was going to have and without being able to be uh, married, that uh, there's no social network system to support you. You need to be in families. And that was one of many, many patients who I've seen hopelessness become hope. And I've worked now in some of the poorest nations on earth and I'm not a sociologist or a uh, politician or an economist, and I know that poverty has many different uh, aspects, facets to it. One thing I do know, though, is that for people to be able to move toward a better tomorrow, they need to have hope that it's possible to have a better tomorrow. Mm. And without that hope, uh, people can't move forward. And I've heard the, the quote, hope to be credible in the future needs to be tangible in the present. Hmm. For hope to be believable for a better tomorrow, it needs to be experienced in the present. And I think one of the things that we do on these ships when we move our hospital ship around is that we are planting seeds of hope in the hopeless. Hmm. Because when Sadio went back to her village, people would say, we, we thought that was impossible. But look, she's got a nose. It, wow. it is possible. I wonder, I wonder, even though we've tried and tried to get clean water for our village or to get a school for our children or get the roads repaired so we can get our crops to market, I wonder if maybe those things which we think are impossible would be possible also. And that, it's that, those little seeds of real hope. This is not make-believe hope. They really saw it with their own eyes that something that they thought was impossible happened. And so, wow. you know, as, as we go through our, our lives, I think a part of the being a part of God's kingdom is that there's hope there, and true hope. Uh, and there's a king who, who loves us and has good plans for us. And all of us hope. So that's been a lesson that has been, been taught by my patients in Africa, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he keeps me going every day. I can tell you, he gets me up out of uh, out of bed to uh, go down and do another eight or ten or twelve hours in the operating room, and do that all week long, and come back and do it again the next week. 
Um, so that that's a big one uh, for me. Yeah. And I, I really do see that we, as followers of Jesus, uh, have a privilege and a responsibility to, to live hope-filled lives and to be able to help others to think about also. So if we can give people something tangible, um, then uh, then from there they can have a hope that that extends into other things. And and mm. they, they, is is that what we're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know. There's so many things that are, just seem overwhelming to people. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you, see, when you see something that you also thought was overwhelming, but it, but it ended up being solved, and there was a, a good answer, and there was a, an intact human being who was marred before that. Um, mm. Human being who had lost her, in fact, wow. she had lost her seat at the table of the human race. And to be mm. able to say, Sadio, have a seat. It's got your name on it. How to rejoin the human race? Um, that those that kind of gift uh, really does spark the imagination that other things wow. need to be done can be done. Yeah. Is it always rewarding? I bet there. I bet you know. It, sometimes it's just it's just slugging it out, just like anything else. Yep. Yep, some days. Um, uh, in fact, I, I, I sometimes uh, text myself in the uh, in the scrub sink when I'm washing my hands before going into the operating room. And I, I have to stop and say, Lord, this is for you. This is for you. That, that child there with that cleft lip, I've done thousands of those. But this oh, is I bet the, you have. This is, all, this is all that it counts for this little boy. This is it. This is all that matters to he and his family. And Lord, wow. you are worth it, and this little guy is worth it. And I have to. Yeah. I, sometimes I find out that I forget that prayer, and I have, you know, and then it's just like, yep, getting up and going to work. <laughs> but right. I, but when you remember, when I remember those things, it brings a joy. To it. It's the same 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 activity, but there's joy in it when I remember yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, and probably, I would think. Uh, Gary, some of those things are are um, uh, in, in some of those places where you are. They may seem simple uh, things to us, but they're they're huge to them uh, because they don't have the resources. Is that am I right about that? Absolutely. The, the number actually, it's, it's a vast the number of people on planet Earth today don't have access to three things involved with surgery. Safe surgery, timely surgery, and affordable surgery. Those three things. The number of people on planet Earth that do not have that, five billion people. So two wow. out of three people on this planet, even some in our own country here, but not like compared to the, to the poor countries, don't have access to those things. So that means you just live with it or you die with it. For me, with these big tumors that grow out of people's faces, they die by slow suffocation or by oh. starvation because they can't, it's, it's a benign tumor. It's so tragic. There are, there are no good reasons 
why people in 2021 should be dying of benign disease. There are reasons, but there are no good reasons. And, and wow. all these people. And so, not, so it's not just a question of, of directly providing surgery, but trying to encourage a change in the, in the governments themselves and in their attitude toward healthcare so that mm-hmm. people can access those things. Because it, it's a huge problem, and so many people die because they can't access those, that kind of surgery. Wow. Well, Gary, we were just so encouraged from talking to you, and uh, I'm just glad you're out there and you're doing what you're doing. Um, mm, thank you. You've, you've made a decision to do this. That's, uh, that's remarkable. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that challenges the rest of us to think about how we can use our gifts and our talents in ways in which, uh, you know, it would enrich people's lives who, 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 who don't have access to the kind of kinds of things we do. We do. Mm. Mm. That, that's so true. And it doesn't have to be surgery or a hospital. It can be right. you know, loving your neighbor. There's someone who just lost her husband and needs a friend or a child who needs encouragement. It's, it's, you know, it's not, you don't have to go across the world. The, the call of God is not geographic. It's it's where we are. Yeah. Amen. Well, Gary, uh, time always goes fast. I uh, <laughs> been been great hearing your story, and uh, uh, we just we'll, we just pray that that you will continue to be safe, and that you guys stay well, and um, mm. um, as you continue. To you touch people's lives in in uh, very like you say tangible ways, isn't that? Mm. It's, it's making the gospel tangible. Mm. Uh, mm. That's uh, yeah. that's fantastic. Thank you so much for spending yeah. some time uh, with yeah. us today, Gary. Amen. Okay, great. Uh, say hello to your wife and um, uh, get some get some rest before you have to go back out there again. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. God bless. Okay, folks, there you go. How was that? Somebody using what they got make life better for other people. That's fantastic. Think about it. Think about how God might use you right where you are. Amen. Good news. All right, everybody. Hang in there. We will see you next week. Take care. Hey, God bless you.